Acts the 14th chapter, and for the sake of time tonight, because you're standing, we'll read only our focus verse, and then I would like to just kind of do a little bit of expository teaching, if I could, tonight through the book of Acts, the 14th chapter, but we're going to the 22nd verse of Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, or verse 22, I'm sorry. If you're there, say amen. And when, uh, verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Let's say that together. Continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Thank you for standing and you may be seated tonight. This is a, this is a powerful chapter. I was spending some time in this chapter today been talking to the Lord about what he would have me to teach to you this evening and um, I recognize some things in this chapter that I have prayed that God would uh, keep us from in his mercy in my lifetime a lot of this has to do with the fact that when we read the scripture we often look at it through an American lens and it it obfuscates the true vision of what the scripture's intent was sometimes when we see I preached to you a little bit Sunday about how peaceful and serene it looked at the beginning of the church that they were in Jerusalem for their feast and oh how beautiful it was they come you know the, the pictures painted they come marching out of the upper room and they're speaking in other tongues, and men and women hear them from all over the world, these Jews that have gathered in. Oh, how beautiful is this? We hear them speaking our language, and they're praising and glorifying God. And the very thing that caused the church to start was the very thing that caused men and women to say, who do they think they are? Here's a principle we must never forget about the church, is that not everybody is always going to see it your way. The people that saw it and received it, they were saved. That's what we believe. The people that did not see it that way, they, didn't, they weren't saved. How can you come to that conclusion, Pastor? Because that was the conclusion that Jesus drew for us. He told Nicodemus, he said, Except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot see nor enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. So, understanding this principle... It helps me sometimes as a pastor, and I'm going to open up my heart here and let you see a little transparent moment, but it helps me sometimes as a pastor when I say, God, I have preached it, and I've preached it, and I've preached it. Are they ever going to get it? Is so-and-so ever going to see? Is so-and-so ever going to understand? And the truth is that it really doesn't matter if it's the Apostle Peter that's preaching it, or if it's Pastor that's preaching it, or if it was Jesus Christ himself that was preaching the message there will always be people 
that are not going to conform their lives to the word of God. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul continued to preach in the same language of be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What was the purpose of that? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You will never be able to prove the will of God in your life while conforming to this world. And you'll never be able to prove the will of God without letting your life be transformed by the word of God. Now, when you read this and you see passion plays about uh, the Messiah and about his crucifixion and how all of that goes down. You know, you watch that happen and it, it makes you angry towards the Romans because they have all these Roman soldiers that are executing our Savior and spitting on him and beating him. How many of you have ever been to a, a live passion play? You ever seen it? It's amazing to watch. It's very cool. We've, we've been uh, to ones that churches have put on. We've been to the uh, big passion play in Branson many years ago. It's amazing to see. But you see all of these Roman soldiers walking through the streets and got their shields and their swords and all of this stuff that's going on. But I want to remind you, it was not the Romans that called the Messiah to the carpet. It was the ones that he came to love, the ones that he came to save, the ones that he came to reveal himself to. He came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So I'm saying to you that if Jesus Christ himself was despised and rejected, don't you think for one moment that you're going to walk through your relationship with God and that everybody you tell what God has done in your life, they're going to clap their hands, pat their feet, congratulate you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You know, as a matter of fact, you're probably going to come across family members that are going to look at you and say, haven't you tried this before? Are you going to feed me with that church hogwash again? Are you going to try to shove that garbage down my throat again? There are some people that want to stay the way that they are. They are not given to change. They don't desire to change. That does not mean that God has not changed your life and God is not working on you. It means that he's worked on you, but they don't want him working on them. Is that, is that, is that all right or is that too straight? I reflect on a weekly basis about uh, something that has always impacted my life. When I was a kid, I heard tell about it. I heard rumor about it. I didn't have it happen to me personally, but I've referenced it many, many times concerning uh, Bishop L.A. Parent. It was said that for the parent, any time he would sign a Bible for someone, that he would always sign the same exact thing in every Bible. And he would say, always be a man. When in trouble, plead the blood. And if you have to carry them, they weren't going to make it anyway. And he would sign his name to it. Think about that now. He would tell these preachers when he signed their Bible, always be a man. When in trouble, plead the blood. If you have to carry them, you weren't, they weren't going to make it anyway. Now, I realize tonight that I'm not preaching to a congregation of preachers. I'm talking to people that... Uh, are lay members, you're working in the kingdom of God. You're not filling a pulpit every week. But 
Can pastor just break this down for you? Can, can I do this to you and challenge you tonight? Always be a man or a woman. Amen. When you're in trouble, plead the blood. And if you've got to carry them, they weren't going to make it anyway. I want to challenge you to understand tonight that sometimes, now this is going to make you really uncomfortable, but sometimes the thing that you have designated as your mission field can actually become your distraction from fulfilling your mission. If I had a rewind button, I'd rewind it and say it just like that again. Sometimes the thing that you have designated as your mission field can actually become your distraction to keep you from fulfilling your God-called mission. Because you continue to pour yourself into a trough that cannot hold what you desire to pour into it. Now this sounds a little hopeless, but stay with me. I'm going to get in the book right here with you. There will come a time in your life that you're going to have to come to grips and understand not everybody wants what you've got. But it does not make your relationship with God any less, nor does it change your mandate. Jesus taught his disciples this principle before the church ever began. And he, he went to a city, and the Bible said that he couldn't do many uh, uh, mighty works because of their unbelief. And his disciples looked at him and said, what are you going to do? And he said, shake the dust off your feet. What happened in the next town that he went to? Does anybody know? Miracle signs and wonders. So what we're taught is just because you face adversity, that doesn't mean that you stop believing and you stop working. Some people need to learn the dust lesson. That shaking the dust off of your feet and shaking the dust off of your hands, that's not for the benefit of the unbeliever. That's for your benefit to help you understand that there will be miracles beyond this, but you cannot be weary in well-doing. Somebody shout, do season. I've been frustrated with God before and had that conversation with God and said, okay, when is due season? Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap if you faint. Now, what's due season? How long does that take? When is due season going to come? And that's, that's that conversation that you have. You know you know it's rhetorical when you ask because you're never going to get the answer. Due season comes when God says it's enough. When God said I'm finished or you're finished or it's time to pick up your feet and move on, it's time. But I cannot allow my mission field that I've designated, my mission field to become my distraction from fulfilling my mission. And if it ever comes to the place that those two lines become blurred and I'm not fulfilling what God has called me to do and what God has called me to fulfill, then I've got to look at that somebody or that something or that family member or that worker or whoever that might be and say, look, I love you, but you know where to find me. I'm not going to keep chasing down this dark street 
where we're not getting anywhere. I love you. I will always be here for you. But if you need to find me, you know where you can find me because I'm going to keep on doing what I know to do. Every time the doors are open on Sunday, you'll know where you can find me. At 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, I won't be knocking on your door. I'll be knocking on heaven's door. I sat down one time with a very close friend and had a conversation and they were kind of meandering through life and doing their own deal and they said, man, I, I'm sorry if I've let you down and blah, blah, blah. And I, I said, look, here's the thing. I want you to know my love for you hadn't changed. I love you deeply. I love you dearly. But I'm not going to continue chasing you and exhausting myself over something that you don't want to get better from. And I said, whenever you're ready to let God heal your life and heal your heart, you know where to find me. You know how to get here. But I can't afford to let my mandate be executed and beheaded because I want somebody to change that doesn't want to change. I'm trying to minister to somebody tonight and help you. So it came to pass in verse number one in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. Verse 1 is very hopeful. There's a great multitude that believed. Now, this verse is how I believe 99% of the church would define revival. Right? We preach the word and a lot of people got it. Does that sound like revival? So we preached it. The Jews that were there, they saw it. A a bunch of them, they saw it. And there were some Gentiles there, and they saw it, and they believed. But don't get too excited. Verse number two. But the unbelieving, in the same room, heard the same preaching. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, and they made... Their minds evil affected against who? Now that's something right there to deal with, folks. And so, because there were some people that got upset and some people that stirred them up and some people that meant evil against them, they closed their Bibles and they went home and they quit preaching. No? Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly. Did they do it in their flesh or in the Lord? I love it. So they get people that respond and people that hear the word and people that receive the word. And then they get people that don't receive the word. And so they keep on doing what they did when the first people believed. I hate to tell you all this, but the closer we get to the coming of the Lord, if he withholds for a little while, the gap between those two groups of people are going to become greater and greater. As a matter of fact, I don't mind stepping out here and telling you right now that we have have not come to a place in society anymore where people are just satisfied with you do your thing, I'll do my thing, you do you, I do me. We're, we're past that. Like, <laughs> that's gone. That's what we would call equality. That's over with. 
They want to despise men that do good. Despise the good that you do. And then kill you because you're not happy that they despise you. Now how far off base am I right now? They're not satisfied with the fact that you want to be married to a man or a woman and they want to be married to someone of the same sex. It's that you're wrong because you believe in marriage as the Bible constituted marriage and they're mad that you believe what you believe. And so it's not enough for them to love their way. They, they love your way and they hate your way. While the church is doing exactly the opposite. Yet it was Jesus who taught us the principle that it is absolutely never enough to just love truth. You must love truth and despise iniquity. And so the enemy is using the very same tool against the church. And we're patty caking with the devil. When Paul and Barnabas felt resistance against the word of God, they did not take it personal that it was an attack against them, but they preached boldly in the Lord. They spoke boldly in the Lord. Do you know what we need to do in this hour? I believe this. I believe it. I believe it. Because I don't believe that the Lord's going to come back for a weak and anemic and feeble and jellyback church. We need to preach it and we need to preach it boldly. We need to preach it with love and compassion, but we need to preach it boldly. Need to preach it. We need to preach it boldly. They stayed there a long time and abode. They, they spoke boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, here comes the litmus test that we don't like. Here's how you know if it was done in the Lord or in the flesh. Right. How was it confirmed to them that they were doing it boldly in the Lord? Because signs and wonders were done by their hands. Who did the signs? The apostles? No. The Lord confirmed his word with signs. Verse 4, I love this. The message says, but there was a split opinion. The King James Version said, but the multitude of the city was divided. Division among Multiplicities of people is never a good reason to stop preaching. There was a split opinion. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. Boy, this sounds like a dangerous mission field. an assault. How often do you hear that in an American church? Probably not far from it. I've had a few times where I felt pretty close to that. There was an assault. There was an assault coming against them. Do you know what we're seeing in the earth right now, folks? Let's just be real. It's an assault. But let's not act surprised. Because the Lord said there's coming a day that men are going to call good evil. Come on now, help me teach. They're going to call evil good. 
And Paul told Timothy, he said, hey, just get ready, son. He said, perilous times are coming. And he, he rips through all of these pre-qualifications. And he said, the bottom line is men are going to be lovers of them own selves. More than they are lovers of God. And these are the kinds of people that we're seeing right now today. But I want you to know tonight what I'm affirming to you is that the 21st century church is not the first church that's had to preach up against something. Do you know what happened in the first century church when they came up against it? They kept on doing what they knew to do. Do you know what you and I are going to have to do in the church of today? We're going to have to keep on doing what we know to do. I wish I had something a little deeper for you tonight. But until we start doing what we know to do, we can't expect God to do what only he can do. Verse number six. Now, there's some debate about this. It said they were, they, they were aware of it or they, they became aware of it. They heard about it, whether this came from the disciples or if it was by discernment of the Holy Ghost. But there's something I think that's very interesting to me is that in times of adversity there will always be a warning that comes to God's people prepare yourself what I really want to know is is if we were to take this passage and bring it into the 21st century and that the warning was given that this is coming I wonder how many of us would have stayed because we're too strong-headed, wouldn't have heard the word of God. You know, there comes a time when the Lord just says no. There was a time when the apostles were forbade to preach in his name anymore, but that was by worldly men. And then there were times where the apostles were told by the Holy Ghost, don't go. When it's men trying to stop it, they've always tried to stop it. When it's the Holy Ghost trying to stop it, you better listen and, and, and check what the Spirit's checking in you. Somebody shout amen if you believe that. So they were aware of it and they fled to Lystra and to Derbe and uh, to Lycaonai and unto the region that lieth round about. And there, what they do when they got there? Heal their wounds? Are we starting to pick up the mandate of the church or not? What'd they do when they got there? Well, we left because they hurt our feelings. We left because they were mad at us. We left because... So they go right back to doing what just about got them killed. Is that crazy? What's wrong with these people? They act like they're fanatics or something. Well, I mean, really, what's wrong with these people? They about got killed, so they go back and start preaching again. Is that, is that what we're going to do? You know, we're worried about our kids... They go to school and somebody says that your kids look funny because they dress different. Well, bless their hearts. Your kids don't do what everybody else does. Well, bless their hearts. I'm just glad to be in a church where we can still say that. It's very interesting to me. What we have called persecution, and I'm, I'm trying not to get sidetracked here. I've got a long ways to go. But it's amazing that what we have called persecution is actually, it's just nothing but abrasiveness. 
Well, they made fun of me. They made fun of me. They said I was a tongue talker. Well, good. Did that take away your Holy Ghost? Or I mean, because while they're still making fun of it, you can go to a, a, a prayer room and move heaven and earth and pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit. Let them make fun. You understand what I'm saying? Look, peop, people look at us and they say, man, I don't, I don't want that. It's too many rules and restrictions. Do you realize how bound people are and they don't even know they're bound? They talk about how restricted we are and they can't even get up out of their bed without going to a medicine cabinet or going to a liquor bottle. Or... But I've got too many rules and I've got too many restrictions. Blows my mind. These people, man, you, they got too many rules and restrictions. We're so funny because in the world... We don't mind being ruled by restrictions. It's hilarious. In this world, we look at it and we look at, let's, let's just look at very simple things like speed limits. Some of you have no clue what that is. You look at speed limits. And it's so funny because you can be doing 84 down the highway in a 70. And somebody will come past you and you'll look at somebody in the car and go, man, that dude's flying. Oh, yeah? What are you doing? Isn't it funny? I don't always agree with speed limits. I, that's why I like the West. Because sometimes they write 80, and sometimes they just don't put anything. It's like, just go. Just get it. I don't know if he's watching tonight or not. I hope he's not, because I'm going to tell a story on my great uncle. But my uncle Max got pulled over one night. He was driving a Cadillac, and the officer pulled him over, and he said, uh, "Sir, you were doing 85." He said, "Yes, sir." He said, "Sir, why were you doing 85?" He said, "Cause that's all it would do." What do you say to that? God bless you, sir. Put the pedal down and have a good one. I don't always agree with the speed limits. I think sometimes they're, they're goofy. But let me tell you something. I'm glad they're there. Because laws bring order where there would be chaos. And when people look at my life, they say, do you really think 20 mile an hour is necessary for a 14 mile ring around the school? No, I don't. But if my kids are walking, I'm glad people are only supposed to do 20. And so they, they look at me and say, do you really think that all that's necessary? That you, 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 you put things in your kids' lives and say, you're not going to watch that. You're not going to see that. Do you, I mean, do you really think that's necessary? Oh, but I'm sure glad about it. When my kids can clearly define to me, yes, Father, if you're going to have a family, the Bible said it's a man and a woman a husband and a wife. It was Adam and Eve. Uh-oh. So, oh God, I'm trying to stay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay centered on this. I'm just, I'm just saying to you tonight that it's not a bad thing to have boundaries in the Holy Ghost. 
Because what you're going to find out is that sometimes in this passage and in your life is that the warning that says to go is not just to protect you from what is to come, but to move you into another place where God's trying to get you to that he couldn't have got you there if you'd have just kept on doing what you were doing. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So they got there and they preached, the go- they preached the gospel. Now I love this right here in verse number 8. And there, where? Where they moved, where they went, where they obeyed. Where they heeded the warning. When they got there, there was a man, a certain man of Lystra who was impotent on his feet that would have never had this experience if they would not have heeded a warning and went there. What if God is getting you uncomfortable and moving you to a lame man or a lame woman that wasn't going to walk if you didn't show up? Woo! I love this. There sat a certain man of Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb. He had never walked. But that all changes when God called God-ordained people come. Now here's here's what I love about this verse. It said that, uh, verse 9, it said, The same man heard Paul speak. What was it that caused the man to believe he could walk? Because he hadn't seen any miracles. He heard the word. How do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing. Listen to what pastor's trying to tell you right here. I feel like I can help somebody. Some of you are basing your prediction on what God can do for you. By what you've seen him do for somebody else. What if God wants to do something in you you've never seen him do. But he increases your faith by the hearing of the word of God. I believe when it said this man was lame and he had never walked. He was lame from his mother's womb. I believe he had never ever seen somebody else that was lame get healed. But when the preacher stood up and said you have no precedent to believe what I'm telling you right now. But you hear me when I tell you that I've seen him heal before. And if he healed another lame man, he can heal you. I feel like increasing somebody's faith tonight and telling you, you may not have any precedent set for believing what God has been speaking to you, but just believe it anyway because God is still able. And if he did it for them, he can do it for you. If you believe it, say amen. He steadfastly was beholding and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. He said with a loud voice. People wonder why we preach loud. He said with a loud voice. Now this is boldness. Crippled, impotent, broken, been this way all of his life. And he said, stand up on your feet upright. I love that because in the translation it leads us to understand he had been that way for so long that he couldn't, even if they would have stood him up, he couldn't be upright. In other words, God could bring some strength to his legs, but there would still be signs that this is the way I've always been. And I love the translation. It says, stand upright. Don't just get strength in your legs. Stand upright. God wants to do something in you that's so powerful, son, that when people look at you, they're going to have to ask you straight. 
Are you the one that was impotent? Are you the one that was broken? Because you look nothing like you looked before God got a hold of you. I believe God still works in people so much. You couldn't stand upright on your own. You couldn't get up on your own two feet. But when the Holy Ghost sent a man of God and said, get up and stand up upright, he'll still make a difference in you. I love it. They didn't. I'm not trying to make you snore in Greek right here or dream in Hebrew, but I love the power of this translation. When you look at it, he could have said, if it was in the Greek language, he could have just said to stand up. No, he said stand upright. I'm straight up now. I'm, I'm, I'm different now. Listen, I don't mean this ugly, but I still believe the Holy Ghost is powerful enough to make you different. And I believe if there's no change in your life, then you're probably claiming something you don't have yet. It's time to let the Holy Ghost work on us. It's time to let the Holy Ghost get us up off of our doubt and our unbelief and cause us to stand up upright. If you believe it, shout amen. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked. The first movement this man ever did was not to walk. Think about that now. That's powerful. First thing that he ever did on his own two feet was to leap. Now this is where it gets interesting. And so here comes the season in your life that you weren't expecting, Paul and Barnabas. You let God work through your life. And when the people saw it and what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice and they said, these are gods come down to us in the likeness of men. Now, I'm guilty as charged. This is the part my wife tells me all the time. She's like, it's like it don't matter what you preach. You always get on the Godhead somehow. It's true. So, I'm studying this week in looking at, at this language in this chapter. And it's, it's crazy because they called Barnabas Jupiter. And they called Paul Mercurius. Because he was the chief speaker. Now, I'm not going to get you out here on the deep end of the pool. I'm just going to stay in the shallow end. But I started reading about these two, these two guys. Like, why, why did you choose them? And it was their belief. Matter of fact, if you read, uh, I don't know if you ever have or not. I got some pretty old stuff. But if you've ever read Homer, who was a Greek poet, I found this. Homer said, for in similitude of strangers oft, Don't let me lose you here. The gods who can with ease all shapes assume. Repair the populous cities where they mark the outrageous and righteous deeds of men. It was a settled belief among the Greeks. That whenever it was time to heal a land. That their gods would have to manifest themselves in flesh. How about that? See? 
How do you not preach that? They said, we believe that if he's going to come and heal and he's going to come and change and he's going to come and deliver, that he's not going to do it from somewhere out there where we can't see him. They said, we believe that Mercurius is going to make himself in the form of a man and we believe that he has come. What was it that made them believe he had come? Now, this smote my heart today. This is, this is how God talks to me. And then he says, you're welcome. The Lord spoke to me today and he said, you know, they had to be doing something pretty powerful for those men and women to say they were gods. They were doing something a little more than just sitting in a seat. How powerful do you have to be that when you walk into a city and God starts working through you, they say, these people are not normal. What they were saying in this verse right here is, we believe that you are a God manifest in the flesh. Give me a little latitude right here. Isn't it something that when Peter is standing before this woman that's accusing him and saying, are you with Jesus, he says, oh, no, nope, I'm not with him. She comes back a little later and says, hey, I think, he, I think that guy, were you with him? Nope. And he denies three times. Listen to me. The last time she said, yes, you were, because your speech betrays you. When you have been with him so much, people don't want to believe this, because that same night in the garden, you mean to tell me that the most wanted man in all of Judea had to be kissed by Judas to identify him with the man that hated him, wanted to kill him, and he walked in there with Judas, and Judas says, I'll, I'll kiss him and let you know which one he is. Do you think he had to be identified? You want to know what I think? I sincerely believe that the 12 men that walked with Jesus for three and a half years, by the time he was finished with them, they talked like him. Woo! They walked like him. So much so that they could not even deny they had been with him. Your speech betrayed. You sound like he sounds. You can't deny that you've been with him. If he's going to be identified, they're going to have to kiss him and let him know this is the one that's been poured into all those people. I want it to be that I've fallen so in love with him that when the world looks at me, they say that man must know Jesus. Come on, somebody. So, how amazing is it that God starts working and you can see the ways of man. God is not going to get the glory. And if we're not careful, we'll fall right in line with that and say, oh yeah, he used me to do it, so I deserve some accolades. The Bible said that they were going to try to bring them sacrifice. Put it at their feet, bless them. It was a settled belief among Egyptians that their gods, sometimes in the likeness of man, sometimes in the likeness of animals, that which they held sacred, descended to the earth. He would travel through the land to reward, to punish, to protect. This was not a strange idea among all other peoples 
all other nations, all other idolaters, that if their God was going to respond, he would respond in human flesh. Yet Jesus Christ comes robed in flesh. But he's God manifest in that flesh. And people all over the world looked at him and said, Ah, I don't know about that. I don't know how he could be. But when he starts working through his disciples, he starts working through his apostles, I think it becomes very evident that you can tell, as they said, he had been with the Lord. I believe it's time for the church to get beyond our motives of being noticed. To get beyond our motive of what do people really think about me? What do they think about my righteousness? What do they think about my holiness? Because when they tried to bring offerings to Paul and Barnabas and say, Oh, look what you have done. They immediately changed the narrative. And they said, This is not about us. So much so that they made them mad. And they said, Who do you think you are to reject the gifts that we have brought to you? You did great things and now we want to reward you. And you're going to tell us no. At some point, we've got to overcome our pride as children of the king and realize it's never been about how good I am. It's never been about what I've done. It's never been about how amazing I am. And if the world gets a chance to believe that, it's not their fault. It's my fault. I've got to glorify my father. Father in heaven. I'm hurrying. So, very quickly, let me let me go. I'm, I'm trying to show you. I'm trying to show you exactly how it is that this this transpires. And so, it made them so mad in Lystra when Paul and Barnabas turned down the gifts. That somehow, this is this is one little twist I don't understand. But. Somehow, Barnabas and the other disciples kind of disappear. And maybe it's because Paul was the main speaker. But basically, the brunt of this humiliation comes against Paul. For some reason, they don't stone Paul and Barnabas, just Paul. It could be, I don't know. I mean, it's seen in in the 15th chapter, if you continue to read that. Paul and Barnabas kind of have a falling out over Mark. Barnabas felt like Mark should come, and Paul was like, eh, he's already walked away once. We really don't know how far that discussion went or that disagreement went. Kind of like there was a severing and a separating. And in, in Galatians, Paul makes a response about Barnabas, and it's kind of interesting. But the point that I want to make to you tonight is not necessarily the historical reference of what happens with Paul and Barnabas. But it, it is interesting that there was some kind of a boldness in Paul They said, you're the one that we want. So they reject the gifts. And the scripture tells us, verse 19, that there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city supposing that he had been dead. This is crazy. If you read the context of this this translation, this language, it basically is saying they made sure he was dead. Like, they didn't just knock him unconscious. They 
they stoned him, beat him until they were sure that he was dead. And at this moment in the story, it looks like apostolic ministry is going to cease. We finally met our doom. We finally found somebody that can shut down the power of Pentecost. And the scripture tells us, verse 20, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up. Now, there's an unseen narrative in this that they, you, you, you can't really, and, and I'm convinced of this because I've been apostolic a long time. Whenever the preacher has been stoned to death, disciples don't just stand around him. Bishop, I believe, and I found many commentators that believe this, the same thing, that when it said the disciples stood around him, that it means they were circling around him, making intercession. Would your spirit agree with that? It doesn't mean that they just stood there and looked at him and said, what are we going to do now? I wasn't there. It's not recorded, so I don't know. But if you'll let my imagination go how it goes, I got to imagine that some of those people were standing around and said, I was there the day the lame man stood up that had never walked before. I was there when they tried to give the glory to Paul. And Paul said, uh-uh. This can't be the will of God. And as they stood around the apostle, it looked like hope was over, but some apostolic refused to believe this is the end of our story. This is not how God wants it to end. And as they stood round about him, I believe somebody all of a sudden began to lift up their voice and say, Lord, if your word is going to continue, it's going to have to be a miracle from God. We begin to plead the same blood that was shed for us over his body right now. And can I tell you what this scripture tells me? I believe that the prayers of the saints can still move the heart of God. He stood up. He stood up. He got up. He stood up. I don't know if he stood up and had no scars. I don't know if he stood up and all the blood was gone. I don't believe it was. I believe when he stood up, all the blood was still there. The cuts were still there. The dirt was still there. All the gashes were there. The pain was there. What are you trying to get to, Pastor? I'm saying sometimes the work of the kingdom is going to cost you and it's going to hurt a little bit. But it doesn't change your mandate. He rose up. And he came into the city. And the next day, did y'all read that? He didn't go to ICU for six months. The next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Now, I don't think you're ready for verse 21. Are you seeing the constant turning of the carousel, you preach the gospel. Men rebuke you. You preach the gospel. Men withstand you. You love God. 
People don't like it. What do you do? Throw in the towel and quit? Every single time we see how these men and women respond. They, were, they respond by saying, the same thing that got me here will be the same thing that gets me there. And I would rather die preaching and die believing than I would to die a heretic and say it don't matter anymore. Listen, if it mattered enough to kill me, then it matters enough to preach in the next city that I go to. I'm closing. I'm closing. But I feel like God... It's trying to put something down in us. Listen, church, I've preached this to you for 20 years. I believe that in my heart, God could get us out of here any moment. I believe in the imminent return of Christ. I believe he could come right now. If he's ready, he can come right now. But I also believe if he doesn't, that some of us are going to have to get tough. And we're going to have to get a little tougher than we've been. We have to square our shoulders up a little bit and say, you know what? When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I'm not going to throw in the towel because I got disappointed. And I'm not going to throw in the towel because I got depressed. And I'm not going to throw in the towel because I got frustrated. And I'm not going to throw in the towel because somebody hurt my feelings. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, you know that it's full of people and people say hurtful things. There are people that I love and thank God for and I've pastored and I've watched them and I've watched other people pastor them and they've said things that aren't of God. They've said things that aren't right, but that has nothing to do with my mandate. If they talk bad about you at work, you go back because you're getting a paycheck. If they talk bad about you at church, you quit going. You know why? It's because you're looking for a paycheck. But in this kingdom, payday doesn't just come every Friday. There's a payday that's coming someday. And I want to be sure that when the payday comes, I never stop preaching and I never stop believing. If I finish my course on this earth before the Lord comes, I want to be running when I cross the finish line. I'm not going to sit down and slide across. I'm not going to stop a mile short and say, Lord, if it's your will, you'll let. No, no, no. When I finish, I plan on running across. And if he comes back before I finish, then I want to be running when he gets me out of here. Nevertheless, we must keep preaching. Let's stand together. So here is the understanding that I believe to be fact. If you're going to have revival, it's going to be faced with resistance. If you're not facing resistance, you're probably not having revival. You're not doing anything powerful enough for men to even, for you to even show up on their radar. But if you're going to have revival, it's not going to please everybody. But you've got to keep believing and you've got to keep preaching. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to write an essay paper. I'm asking you to search your heart right now and say, based on my relationship with God, if the Lord doesn't come for another 20 years and I'm blessed to live that long, what will my life look like then? Now, I'm, I'm being as real as I can be. But I'm just telling you that there's been a lot of the church world over the last eight months that have just sat down. But we'll tell you in private conversation. If they put a gun to my head. 
and tell me not to believe, I'll keep on believing. Well, we're not convinced of that. We're just not. I'm not convinced that you'll lay your head on a guillotine willfully if you can't live for God right now. It's not. And I want to tell you the reason why that thinking is in us is because we live in a rescue mentality that God's going to get us out of here before we face trouble. And I hope he does. But the question of consequence is what if he don't? I mean, I never, I never dreamed we'd have a pandemic in my lifetime. Never. But do you realize that because some people have stood up, there was a man that this church prayed for many, many times, and the case for his church went all the way to the Supreme Court of Louisiana. And do you know what happened? The Supreme Court turned it over in favor of the church. Another window of opportunity. Look what God's done. But if you don't get tough, don't tell me we're going to be apocalyptic heroes and stand for him then. Let, let, let me break it down in closing with this statement right here. If you won't live for him, you sure won't die for him. Do you believe that? Hallelujah. Let us pray. Master, we honor you tonight and thank you for your goodness. Lord, I see it through your word time and time and time again that men give their lives to the gospel, they face resistance, and they keep preaching. And I pray that in this hour in which we're living in, we would be spiritually cognizant enough to realize this is not about court systems and powers that be. Lord, this is about what we wrestle against. Lord, we've got to have on the whole armor of God, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we're going to take on the armor of God. And when it's not popular, we're going to keep preaching. Lord, when it's not popular, we're going to keep on living this way. We're going to keep on loving you because we made up our minds at the starting block. We started to finish. I plead the blood of Jesus over this congregation over my family tonight, the family of God. I plead your blood over us, Lord. And I, Lord, I, I pray that you would honor us with a speedily return. But if you don't, may it be that you find us working for you. Father, your word says that there would be two grinding at the mill. One would be taken and one would be left. One in the bed, uh, two in the bed, one would be taken one would be left. Lord, that's not a high percentage of people. It's apparent to me that at your return, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter in. But I'm asking you tonight, God, that you would give us the wisdom and the strength and the grace to run this race. To finish, Lord. To finish well. To finish strong. That if we finish by the grave or we leave by the rapture, that it could be said we were faithful until the end. Let it be, God, that we are faithful and that we may enter in to eternal life. I plead the blood of Jesus over every individual in this house, every young person, every family. God, strengthen your church. Strengthen the body of Christ and give us what we need to stand in this hour. Your grace is sufficient. I love you, Lord. Protect us and keep us. 
until our next appointed time. In Jesus' mighty name, let the church say amen.